All right, if you would stand with me, please, one more time. This series is number four called Built. The title of the message today is Built for Maturity, God's Body. Built for Maturity, God's Body. The, t- the series text that we say every Sunday is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And the cornerstone of any building is critical because it sets the foundation and the architectural integrity of the structure that's built on top of it. So Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. He's called the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. In First Peter, he's called the chief musician in the book of Psalms. He's called the chief cornerstone. And so as we read this passage today, we recognize that he is setting the standard, the, the plumb line, the measure for which we are the building of God that's being built. So let's read together. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Grab it one more time. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Bow your hearts with me, please. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you said in John 17 to know God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. God, thank you today for this few moments of opportunity to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let the power of the gospel, for which we are not ashamed, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Thank you today that you let that be planted like seed in the hearts of every one of these listeners. God, I'm careful. I do it every Sunday and I do it on purpose because I need to hear it and we need to say it. God, without you, I can do nothing. But I thank you that that I have you and that better than that, you have me. You have a a hold on me and you won't let go. And, And because I have Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I pray today for an opening of eyes, for an unstopping of ears, for spiritual sight, for spiritual understanding, that you you do the work of the Holy Spirit and you regenerate people in this room from spiritual death into newness of life. You raise us up together with Christ. God, thank you that you do the work that only you can do. We'll be careful to give you all the praise because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. You may be seated together this morning. The presence of the Lord, this series is called Built... Number one was the architect and his plans, God's design. Number two was built together, God's temple. Number three was built according to purpose, God's family. This morning is built for maturity, God's body. So we're talking about the body of Christ. Christ is no longer just Jesus the anointed, but Christ now is a body of people. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Just as the body has many members, so also is Christ. Now I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Are you ready? I'm looking at you and I want to say, here we go. Hello, Christ. You're the body of, of which he is the head. Okay? We've never been taught in such fundamental understanding that Jesus died and rose again and ascended and sent back the Holy Spirit, it was more expedient for us that he would go away because as long as he was here 
in his pre-ascension state, he could be at one place at a time. But when he ascended, the text we're going to read today says he gave gifts to men. He poured out his Holy Spirit. Next Sunday is not only Memorial Day weekend, but it's Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection. It's the celebration of the birth of the church. So 1970-something years ago, on Pentecost Sunday, Peter stands up to preach after having been 10 days in an upper room with 120 people praying. And the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church is birthed. 120 believers receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and Peter goes outside to preach and 3,000 more are born into the kingdom of God. And this thing has been rolling year after year, decade after century after millennium, generation after generation, to the point that what began with 120 and became 3,120 in one day, because I believe that those prophetic passages that say a nation will be born in a day is not Israel. I believe it's the church. It's the true nation, the holy nation that was born in a day. Literally, on the day of Pentecost. And so that 3,120 now has become, at 2015, 2.7 billion Christ confessors on the planet. Come on, give God some praise. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, or 9, 7 particularly says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. I don't know when it's going to be. No man knows the day nor the hour, but I believe there will be a time when we will see him face to face. He will return. He will come back. And literally the Bible tells us that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I'm telling you, we're starting to spread out pretty good right now. So if you just don't quit and don't give up, and don't grow weary in well-doing, come on, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Help me preach a little bit. I have hope. We sang it this morning in that song. It says, build your kingdom here. It says, we are the church. We are the hope on earth. As the body of Christ that now has many members over which Jesus Christ is the head, the anointed head. We are the body. We are the multitude, the many members of God's body. We are built for maturity. God's body, He desires His body to grow up. How ridiculous would it be to see a 21-year-old in diapers? That's not an image that you even want to entertain for any length of time. How many of you realize that sometimes we remain spiritual infants for too great a length of time? Just because one has chronological age doesn't mean that spiritual maturity corresponds with it necessarily. There are people who have lived their whole lives apart from Christ and in their 40s come to Christ and they're so hungry and they grow in leaps and bounds and they're just maturing rapidly. There is no limitation on your maturing in the Spirit in God. That is, if you learn how to walk with God. And in Southern Christianity, we are so experience-oriented. Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few there be that find it. And in the South, in the Bible Belt, it's all about the gate experience, coming through the gate, it's, you know, coming forward, shaking the pastor's hand, making a public profession, making a fresh start, whatever you call it, signing a card of commitment. We've done it all different kinds of ways, coming down to the altar. All of those are just different means in order to help you recognize that God has called you to something new and something fresh and something alive and no longer dead. 
No matter which way, however way you do that, God has called you to a place of maturing and growing up into the head, even Christ is what the Bible says. And so we've continued to be stunted. We have not represented. Everybody say represent. Or if you say it in the hood, it's kind of represent. Just, just get, you got to rep it, brother. But I want you to see the word. Let's take it apart. Everybody say re-present. So when we represent Christ, we are representing Christ to the world. We are the church. We are the called out to influence, the ecclesia. We are the hope of God in the earth. And you don't hear that because so much of the time it's just about how low down, no good, awful, just a sinner that you are and you're going to sin a little bit every day and, and you just kind of came in defeated and you leave defeated and you hope that one of these days that Jesus will come rescue you and what I want to tell you is he already did that 2,000 years ago on the cross and your hope is not built in anything you do. It's everything he's done and now that's given you a new identity in Christ. Come on somebody, help me a little bit. Because we want to understand who we are now, not who we used to be. And so much rehearsal is given to Sunday after Sunday in places where folks never able to grow. They're just still, just still sucking the same bottle of milk. And thank God for the sincere milk of the Word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Desire the sincere milk that you may grow thereby. But come on, let me tell you, after Junior has got a full set of teeth, it's time for him to gnaw on something else besides a bottle. And every meal that we prepare here is not only the milk of the Word for the young, but it's also the bread of God's Word. And it's also meat in due season for some of those who are mature. And, and what I try to do every time I preach is I set the beverage and the milk and I set the, the bread and the meat and we make a sandwich and everybody's got something to eat. If you can just come on belly up to the table and be hungry in Christ. All right, one thing. One thing. This is our one thing. God, read it out loud with me. Here we go. God's purpose for the body is to put away childishness and grow up into the head to be like Christ in every part of our lives. There is a paradox here. A paradox is a seeming contradiction. A paradox in Scripture is this. When we mature, we actually become more childlike in our faith and our trust of God but we put away childishness. Now, childlike faith is like the little girl on the side of the swimming pool. She's two, and Daddy's standing there going, Come on, sweetie, jump to Papa, jump to me. And without any reservation whatsoever, she just lunges out there and is caught in her Daddy's arms because she's confident that Daddy is going to catch her. That's childlike faith. But then when she doesn't get her way and she pitches a tantrum on the side of the pool... And daddy says, now baby, we're not going to act like that. That's childish. We want to become childlike in our faith and our trust of the Father, but we want to grow up out of our childishness. Come on, are you hearing me? Get it one more time. Here we go. God's purpose for the body is to put away childishness and grow up into the head to be like Christ in every part of our lives. All right, so a little bit of review. Paul gives us the wealth of the believer in chapters 1 through 3. Spiritual uh, blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ in chapter 3. But in chapter 4 we open up and the new key word now is not about riches and inheritance and, and, and fullness and all of these different kinds of things. But it's the word walk. Everybody say walk. 
and I'm, and I'm not going to quote the Aerosmith song, but look at your neighbor and say, walk this way. All right? This is what I want you to get because Ephesians starts to talk about how we walk, how we live. Now, we're not talking about the measure of the stride, but we're talking about our behavior, our conversation. Uh, does your walk match your talk? The little Japanese preacher said it this way. He said, no walkie-walkie, no talkie-talkie. And some of you have been around here for a few years and you still laugh at the same old joke, so I appreciate you. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> walk and talk. So our conversation is in heaven. It does our walk match our talk. Now, as we're looking at the book of Ephesians, I want to show you a very interesting contrast before I actually get into this section today. Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, whose leaves do not wither, and his bears fruit in due season, and whatever he puts his hand to it will prosper. How many of you need some of that? You want your leaves to not wither. You want your fruit to be born in season. Whatever you touch, you want God to prosper. His favor is blessing to be upon it. And he says in a negative way of saying it, the man who is blessed doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of the sinner. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And if you look at this, there is a backward regression. He's walking in the way of the ungodly, the counsel of the ungodly. He's standing. He stops walking. He's standing in the way of the sinner. And then finally, he sits back and he sits down in the seat of the mocker. He sits down in the seat of the scornful. There is a progression. Anytime you begin to walk in sin, it will take you deeper into the habit. Anytime you begin to walk in God, it will take you deeper into His presence. Come on, somebody. Uh, what, what, we, what, we've never failed, what we've never failed to realize or we've never understood fully is that we preach the contagiousness of sin, but we've never really balanced that with the contagiousness of holiness. I was reading in my devotional time this week in Leviticus chapter 6, and the Bible says, whatever the priests touch becomes holy. And I jumped up out of my seat on the backside of my house at the garden, and I said, oh my goodness, holiness is contagious, just like sin is contagious. Whatever the priest touched, it became holy. Now, people, I'm not the priest. Jesus is the high priest. Has he touched your life this morning? If he's touched your life this morning, then the contagion of his holiness has touched your life. That means you can't keep living and walking in the way you used to walk. But he says, I want you to walk this way. Look at your neighbor and say, walk this way. That's what Paul the Apostle is talking about. And in Ephesians, this whole thing gets turned around. Ephesians chapter 2, we found out that we've been made alive in Christ and he raised us up and he made us seated. He sat us down with him in the heavenly places. Not in the seat of the, of the mocker or the scornful anymore, but I'm seated with Jesus, with Christ, in heavenly places. Look at your neighbor and say, boy, it's a good view too. Now, some of you go, well, I'm sitting on a black-covered chair in the same room everybody else is. I don't know what you're talking about. It's about an eternal perspective. It's about looking at things through the lens of God's purpose. Very different than the way the rest of the world in the world system is looking at things. And so Paul starts out 
sit, walk, and stand. He turns this whole thing around. We are seated in heavenly places. In chapter 4, he says, now you're going to get up off the seat and you're going to begin to walk in heavenly places. And then finally, we'll wrap this thing up in 6 where it says, having done all to stand, stand therefore in the day of evil. Okay, so the, the, the walk, stand, and sit digression in Psalm 1 gets flipped around on the positive side in the book of Ephesians where we began seated in heavenly places and now in, in chapter 4 verse 1 we're learning how to walk with God. Number, point number 1, here we go. We need to walk worthy of our calling. Everybody say walk worthy. Listen, verse 1. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Powerful words here. We, we recognize that we are in this thing not by ourselves, isolated, but we're in this thing with some brothers and sisters that are different than we are, that have a different perspective than we do, that see things differently than we do, and we have all potential to be offended at some point by all these others that are sitting around us in here. How many of you know God has a sense of humor? If you don't know it, just look around the room this morning. Okay? Now he says, I want you to walk in humility and gentleness and patience and in bearing with one another in love. I'm convinced, uh, there's some of these words that I think we have a good handle on, but I, I feel like it's that scene in The Princess Bride when Mandy Patinkin, he's the guy who's looking for the six-fingered man because he says, uh, you've killed my father, prepare to die. If you don't know Princess Bride, then you just, you, I don't think you even know God if you haven't seen Princess Bride. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there's a famous line in there where he says, I hear you say that word, but I don't think that word means what you think it means. Matter of fact, I've been so inspired by that, I'm going to preach a series called Church Words. I don't think they mean what you think they mean. That's on, that's on for 2016 right there. I think this word humility is like that. I think we have retranslated humility in Southern churchianity, and it really is, well, he's a nice guy. He's sweet. Uh, and in some circles, it means uh, if they're, if they're I met many, many times I ask people, well, why, why, do you, why is he humble? What's so humble about him? And, and sometimes it's code for, well, the deacon board can control him. Now, I'm going to go preach a little bit this morning, okay? Uh, I just want to ask you one question right here. Do you think the Pharisees thought that Jesus or John the Baptist or Peter or Paul or any of those guys were humble? Probably not. Humility then ends up taking on all this baggage. And I want to tell you what real humility is. Real true humility is not thinking less of yourself. And this is a C.S. Lewis quote. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting God first... Others in front of you and yourself last. Everybody say J-O-Y, Joyce. Come on, say it, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and you. That's the real spirit of humility. A, a, a person who is humble does not mean that they can't be bold and confident in the gifting that God has graced them with. Chris Grafton around here says it's good to know yourself. And if it were wrong 
to accept yourself in the way that God has made you and motivated you with your gifting, then, then we would have to just literally take a penknife and cut out a, a significant portion of the Bible where we talk about walking in confidence in the Spirit and the Lord being our confidence. Sometimes we, 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 we want to think that somebody's not humble and really if they're putting God first and they're putting others in front of themselves, no matter how boldly they come out, listen, that is a true humble person. Jesus walked with humility, but he also walked into the temple and turned over the money changers' tables. And I bet you those money changers didn't think Jesus was too humble that day. So I think humility means we learn to walk by putting, being completely dependent on God and knowing that it's all about Him and not about us. Come on, somebody. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul gave us the positional truth of our identity in Christ. But now in 4 through 6, he's going to begin to deal with our condition. My position is I'm living up here. But how many of you know sometimes the struggle that I'm facing is right down here in the nitty-gritty nasty now and now? I can sing songs about the sweet by and by and sometimes I can get a little disgusted about singing about one of these some glad morning when this life is o'er because I've got trouble right now I need some help in. Are you hearing me? And, and, the, and the whole point is the gospel isn't just futuristically oriented only but it will speak to and minister to your needs that you have right now. Come on, it'll bless you and prosper you so you can pay the rent. It'll, it'll heal you when you're sick. It will restore you when you're broken. It will, will touch you and bring you back into a place of fellowship when you have sinned. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're to walk worthy of our calling. We've been called to be saints what is, the, what is the, the worthiness of our calling? Walk in a manner that, that, that befits how you have been called. Now, too many, too many times in Southern Christianity, you get called a sinner. Oh, yeah, but you've been saved by grace every Sunday. But instead of really renewing your mind and your new identity that you now are a saint in the Lord, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who he wrote to at Ephesus. By the way, just let me make this very plain and practical for you this morning. This book that we're dealing with as Paul is writing to this amazing church, it would be in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. just want you to know that just slightly south of this location where Ephesus was is another church city mentioned in the Bible by the name of Smyrna. You find it in the book of Revelation. We as Victory Church support on a monthly basis and have for over 20 years the pastor of the largest Christian church in Smyrna, Turkey, right now. His name is Matt Black, a little brother who comes in every two or three years and just very just non-assuming. But I'm going to tell you something. He's, he's shaking and rattling and rolling over there in a 99% Muslim nation where people are coming to Christ and being baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on a regular basis. And little old Matt Black that I went to school with at Arkansas State University saw him get saved in the EE program where he sat and listened to us talk about grace, man, God, Christ, faith. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for a fact or for certain that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? And Matt said, no, I don't know that. And I want to know Jesus. And listen, 25, 30, 35 years later, he's pastoring the largest Christian church in one of the greatest Muslim nations. Smyrna, just slightly south of Ephesus where Paul sent this letter. So if that doesn't make it any more real to you, I don't know how to make it more real. That's, that's an amazing privilege that we have. The Apostle Paul says in verse 3, second point, walk in unity. Everybody say unity. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. And he gives us seven things that there is unity in one, one, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Unity, unity is that amazing element that is missing in so many places in the body of Christ. You've all heard the the stories, the illustration about the two men that are stranded on the desert island and they live there 20 years undiscovered and finally a bonfire is built big enough and a passing ship comes and finds dock out a little bit at sea and, the, and the, the, the captain of the ship gets on the little small boat and he rows out there and they give him a tour of the island. They've been stranded for 20 years and this is the barracks where we live and oh, there's a building over there with a cross on it. He says, yes, that's First Church and he looks over there on the other side of the island there's another cross on it. It's another building. He said, yeah, we had a church split after about seven years together. (laughs) And so that's the story of our disunity. And the two believers whose denominational heritage I will not name in order to protect the guilty are meeting together one day for the very first time and they're so excited because they're sort of going down through the important issues that they believe in and embrace and they've gotten past all the big ones and so one of them looks at the other one and he says you're King James only he said oh yeah that's the only Bible that really that's the Bible that John preached out of of course it's King James only and the guy says okay wonderful red carpet or blue and the guy says well red carpet of course he said hallelujah praise God we're brothers he said is your pulpit wooden or is it acrylic he said it's acrylic he said you're a heretic (laughs) it's a ridiculous joke but it's just about the level of truth in the body of Christ because we split hairs over the most ridiculous non-essential things. This morning when we sang Cornerstone, Scott led us in the beautiful Apostles' Creed that's been recited now for almost 1,900 years from the early church forward affirming 12 critical truths that we will not take time to argue with you about here at Victory. And I just want to very humbly and at the same time tell you that if this offends you, I'm sorry, but if you cannot affirm those 12 simple truths in the Apostles' Creed, you are not by any stretch of the imagination a Christian. If you can't say God is Father and Creator, Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and go through those 12, those simple things, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, these are things that we are unified about and we will not take time arguing over. Now, how the world's going to end... When the rapture comes, whether you speak in tongues or not, whether you consume alcohol or you drink wine or you don't, whether you eat meat or you don't, all of those Romans chapter 14 issues are non-essentials of the faith. And we just say to you, whatever you do, if you do it in faith, that's fine. But if you can't do it in faith, it is a sin. And I won't judge you or be judgmental over a non-essential of the faith because whether you drink A beer or not is not going to save you or not make you lose your salvation. Or whether you drink a glass of wine. Or whether you eat meat. Or whether you don't. Because these were things they were arguing about in the New Testament. These are not things we're going to split hairs over here at Victory Church. We're not going to argue over the carpet. Isn't that apparent when you look at this industrial floor? (laughs) It's a hoot because... One denomination is just so factional and it breaks up, but then they call it church planting. That's not quite the idea of what church planting is. It happens all the time. Jesus prayed in John 17. He says, Father, that they may be one 
that the world may know. God wants us to be one together. And we have to bear with each other. There are little things that are, that are non-essentials that we should not get our... Okay, i got to come up with another way because I was thinking about the panties and the wad thing. But anyway, <laughs> we, we get a hitch in our get-along. That's okay, you woke up. <laughs> Number three, point, point three, walk in the measure of grace. Everybody say measure. Here we go, listen, verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse eight. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives when he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's a month of Sundays of messages I can't even touch, but I want to grab this one thing. Back at verse 7, it says, but grace was given. Notice it doesn't say to all of us, but it says to each one of us. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the Greek word metron. Uh, an English word that we use from this Greek word is like the word metronome. Uh, a metronome is a device that is used. You have those old-fashioned wind-up kind. If you ever took piano, now you can get it as a free app on your, uh, on your iPhone or your whatever that alien other kind is, uh, Android. <laughs> I'm just teasing. And so you can get whatever, whatever kind you have. It'll speak your foreign language too. So anyway, it, it, there's, there's a metronome there, and it's going to tick for you, and it's measuring time. It's measuring time so that you can learn the discipline of being able to play in the phrase so that when you sing the words that they fit, okay? Because if I get up here and I'm playing at a different time than everybody else is, it's confusion. The little inner ear thing that I wear is, is Brett's drum beat turned up a little bit higher than everybody else because I'm just going to confess my sin to you. I get excited and I want to rush things. I want to go a little bit faster and get ahead of everybody. And I have to watch the singer, and I have to listen to the drummer. And so the measure, the metron of Christ, is that he is setting the tempo of the beat and the live, the walk that we're supposed to be walking with him. And what I want you to see is that you've been given a grace gift according to every one of you, each one of you, according to the measure of Christ. Everybody's metron is not the same. For example, my metron is music and history and um, I, I love horticulture. I get out and I, I, love, I can make things grow. I love that. Um, Jerome Alford is a brilliant thinker. He's the only person that I know that can sit down in a conversation and still remember all of those equations that you learned in Algebra 2 and in Calculus 1. And he can figure out something for you. And I go, and let me just, let me just tell you this right now. I'm not bragging, but I want to tell you. I won the award for making the highest grade point in those classes in high school. But I don't remember those, that stuff. You want to know why? Because I don't use it. But his job, he's an, he is, he's an engineer, and he, 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 he uses that stuff every day, and it's just brilliant. That's his metron. And so I, when we're talking about that kind of stuff, I willingly submit because I know I, I'm, I'm outranked. He's brilliant. And there are people in this room that are visually gifted. You can put a room together. You can decorate. You can do the interior thing. You can match colors. You can match fabrics and do all this stuff. And it's beautiful. And you come in and you just immediately soak up this wonderful vibe that this room has created because you're walking in your metron. 
It's a grace gift that you've been given. My, my wife is a teacher, and she can stand and take a complex concept in physics. They're launching rockets this week, and it's just next week too, and it's so cool because they, they, they take these two-liter Coke bottles, and they put them on a pressurized thing and launch them into the air, and they got kids that are sitting there, and they're measuring the angle, and they're calculating all of these different things, and it's just so cool, and I'm just going, you know, I, I did that way back there, but I've forgotten. I don't know how to do all that kind of stuff. That's not my Metron, okay? Um, what I want to say to you is your Metron is not the same as, as Charlie's is up here at front. And Charlie's is not the same as Chris's. And Chris's is not the same as Dorothy's in the same house. They're usually opposites attract. And, and too often, many times we get bored with our measure of grace where God has gifted us to operate and we think that we can do a better job at something else that somebody else is doing. And that's where we get messed up and the body becomes crippled because we're not running in our lane. We're not, we're not running in and maintaining our metron, our measure of grace where God has given us. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? What I'm saying is in the middle of all of this unity, he sort of changes and he says, now you guys be unified about this stuff, but realize there's an enormous diversity sitting out here because every one of you has a different grace gift. Every one of you has been given a different measure of the grace of God for your destiny, for your life. Are you, are you getting anything out of this? All right, let's, let's walk on. Num next point, walk with your leaders. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until, everybody say until. That's critical. I have it bold over there. This is my emphasis, until... Everybody say, until is a time word. Okay, now look at what he says until. You're going to have what we call the five-fold ministry. What the Old Testament would call the hand of the Lord. When we talk about the body of Christ that would be seen in shadow and type in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament prophets would say, the hand of the Lord will accomplish this. Now in the New Testament, that's this five-fold gifting of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Now, there's some that say the first two are dead and the last three are functioning. Some say all of them are gone. And I just want to tell you that neither one of those can be substantiated from any passage of Scripture. Because the Bible right here says you've got these five-fold different kinds of grace gifts, offices of authority, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral or the shepherd, and the teacher and all of these are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, in Southern Churchianity, it's believed that you come and sit and you're an observer and you put in your tithe check and the preacher does the work of the ministry. But that's not biblical. Literally, the Bible idea is that every leader in the kingdom of God is like a coach and he is looking, like today I'm standing here looking at the team. You've never seen a coach get out and grab the football and run it down across the goal line to win the ball game. The coach is helping every member on the team find the best place where he can possibly function in his metron, in his gifting... And he's coaching them to run the plays, to live the discipline, to walk the talk, so to speak. Then when game time comes, they get out there and they run against the, the, the defense of the other team. And this is literally what the picture of the church is here today. In Jesus Christ, 
I'm the coach standing up here to equip you to go out of this building because this service, as much as some folks think it is, this is not the work of the ministry. This is the fun part. I'm in the fun part on Sunday morning. The work of the ministry is when all of us walk through those doors and we enter into our mission field, into the delta, and you represent the gospel as the church of Jesus Christ. You are the hope of God on the earth. And we're called to touch this little part of the globe until the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of His glory, covers it like the waters of the sea. The Christ is the many-membered body, and the hand of the Lord is this five-fold ministry. The apostle uniquely has the ability to touch the others. The prophet points and says, Thus saith the Lord. Some of you are going, What's he going to do with that middle finger? Be careful now. It's the longest one. It's the farthest region when it goes into all the world as a missionary with a gift of evangelism to the uttermost parts of the earth. The pastor, the shepherd, puts on the sign of covenant, wears the wedding ring. He's not a hireling, but he loves the bride of Christ. He's there to care for her and love her and honor her and cherish her. Wash her by the water of the word. Come on, somebody. And the teacher's the only one little enough to get into your ear and dig out the waxy traditions of men so you can understand what I just said. Are you hearing me? So he shows you, he or she shows you how to be able to take this concept of all of the riches of God, the wealth of the believer, and begin to walk it out in the heavenly places. Notice the hand is the only member on my body that has the ability to touch every other member of my body. The hand as the anointed authority of God in the body of Christ, of which I'm looking at, has the authority and the ability to minister to the brokenness, to bring encouragement, to come alongside in comfort. Occasionally, if there's a little correction that needs to be brought, and to speak the truth in love, as we're going to end this message with in just a moment. So, come on, some, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, and, and there's no one member that's any less important than the other because you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're going to the bathroom and you wrap your little toe around the corner of the bedpost and everything in your whole body rushes to meet the need of that little toe. And, 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 and you're saying some things that might not can be repeated in this service this morning. Or maybe you're sanctified and you're crying, Jesus, 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 Jesus over your toe. I'm a little drunk because I was just standing on my head. <laughs> I got to finish this message this morning. <laughs> what is my point? The hand of the Lord ministers to the whole body. Okay? So the five-fold ministry ministers to the body of Christ. Are you following me? Okay? So listen, it says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge, full knowledge is the Greek word, of the Son of God, to mature manhood, nope, 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 hadn't done any of that yet, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, nope, we've not attained any of that yet. So since it says He's given us these gifts to grow the body up so they can do the work of the ministry until, 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 everybody say until, all these conditions are met, none of which have been met, the idea that any or all of these have disappeared from the planet is a totally unbiblical, unsubstantiated idea. Okay? Last point. Let's finish up. Walk together with the head. 
He says, I've given you all of this in order that, so that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, same Greek word as teaching, by every kind of teaching out there, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everybody say grow up. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Southern churchianity is consumed with going up, predicting a rapture date, revealing of the Antichrist, Jesus coming, snatching the church out, which never made sense to me because why would we be taught to walk in the power of God's armor? It says, having done all to stand in the evil day, if you're going to get yanked out before the evil day gets here. Just think about it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. I think if the church were as, as concerned about growing up into Christ as we are about going up when Christ comes, when he comes, I'm going with him wherever he wants to take me. Just let me just make that clear, okay? But I think our emphasis is on the wrong thing. It says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds. There's the word build. Everybody say build. So that it builds itself up in love. Now, some of those things I just said right then, you might not think are too humble. But all I'm trying to do is just get you to ask some questions. Because we're gullible. We believe somebody quotes a scripture at us and they give us an interpretation of it and we don't stop to question. We're not like those from Thessalonica who were more faithful, who searched the scriptures daily to see if these things would be so. We need to prove it. I guarantee, I challenge you, don't take anything I have to say as the final word. You go to the word of God because it is the only final authority. It's where you ought to go first and where you should end up last because it has the last word. So this morning we want to be people who speak the truth in love, but it's all about being connected. It's about being uh, attached and working properly, finding your metron, looking, getting in your lane and running in your lane. This morning, as we bring this message down to a close, the, the elbow there between the radius and the ulna, the, the two bones in my arm, and into, was it the fibula up here? No, that's a, that's a leg bone. I used to know all 208, but I don't anymore. That joint there at the wrist and at the elbow and that the shoulder is where all of life is produced. The bone marrow is literally making new blood that my circulatory system is using, running through my heart, through my veins, my arteries, being energized with fresh, fresh, fresh oxygen from my lungs. All of these things are working together to give me the ability to stand up here and move around and I'm sweating even though that, that is a blessing because if I didn't, I would overheat. I'm sweating because I'm excited and I'm passionate and I'm moving. And all of that has to be operating for me to be able to do. In the very same way, the body of Christ needs to be connected and every part working properly, every part functioning, finding your grace where God has gifted you and operating in that place and not trying to operate in somebody else's metron, in someone else's measure of grace. That's what will set us apart. That's what will give us a sense of unity, a sense of purpose to be able to work alongside the other churches in this area and see the kingdom of God advanced in the delta. 
We have to be a people in the face of all the problems and all of the indifference and the apathy. As the body of Christ, we need to be on fire with the passion of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And all of the racial unrest and the, the, the attempted segregation and the failed integration and all of these things that are stirring up in all of the cities around the country and began in Ferguson and then, then in New York City and then in Baltimore and all of this stuff that's going on. The church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and love on our Hispanic brothers and sisters and on our African American brothers and sisters and on our Asian brothers and sisters. You know what my real goal is? 10, 15 years from now when I've handed this to another generation is to look out there at that new property with a new building that's growing and children being educated in a classical Christian school and you look at the church and you go to the service and there's such a huge plethora of differences of races and, and, and groups of people educated and uneducated rich and poor and black and white and red and yellow and all of that that you can't look at that and say that's a white church or that's a black church or that's a brown church. No, it's just the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? With all of my heart, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to dig in and find your place and find your grace and find your metron because we need every member of the body working properly and we need it to be connected. You, you, you don't think one is important? You just wrap that little toe around that bedpost and you see how the rest of your body starts to get affected because that one member that's not working properly. Bow your heads with me, please.